Hello and welcome to the menu, Monaco's programme on great food, drink and hospitality. This week we meet one of London's most successful restaurateurs, Samyuk Tanair, to discuss the lessons she's learned from the industry over the years. It's how you make people feel. And that's it. Uh, everything else aside, because at the end of the day, we're all human, we're all going to make mistakes. But I think it's really just how you make people feel when they walk into your space and when they walk out. Then we'll cross over to Croatia's third city, Rijeka, to find out what has made it one of the country's culinary hotspots. In every dish that we are talking about, we are talking about the story, where is it from, from who is it, and uh, there is uh, something that actually I think that makes us quite special uh, in uh, our country. All that the week's headlines and Edina Soundtrack recommendation too ahead in this episode of The Menu. Here in London, the father-daughter duo Samyukta and Dinesh Nair and their company LSL Capital have in recent years got a major foothold in the capital's restaurant scene. Famous for places such as the Indian restaurants Jamavar and Bombay Bustle and the Chinese concept Mimi Mayfair, they recently launched their latest venture, the high-end Japanese izagaya called Coin. Samyukta Nair joined me in the studio a bit earlier to talk about the new restaurants, what she thinks great hospitality should be like, and how she became one of London's best-known restaurateurs. I am a thoroughbred hospitality baby, so to speak, and my family has been in hospitality in India for about 25 years. They founded one of India's most iconic hotel chains called the Leela Palaces Hotels and Resorts. It was named after my grandmother and started by my late grandfather, Captain Nair. We no longer are in the hospitality business, but restaurants is very much something that we've loved and enjoyed over the years, and my career in hospitality is truly serendipitous. So uh, the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. And we've always dabbled in uh, building luxury properties within the hospitality space that and that were very well known for restaurants. And this departure from India to London really is almost like an homage and a homecoming, if you will. So yeah, most of it really is just coming back to your roots and knowing more of that. That's amazing. So now you've launched, if I get my numbers right, four restaurants in London. This is correct. And uh, they are Jamava. Bombay Bustle, Mimi Mayfair and the latest one, which is Coin, which is a Japanese um, Japanese izakaya. Can you tell me about the lessons or tips you got maybe from your family when you were launching your first restaurant, for example? I think the most important one is do what you know. And if you do what you know, you're going to do it well. How do you know what you know? Uh, I mean, I think when you've grown up around it, uh, and a lot of it is actually dinner table conversations, you know, sitting around your family who ideate and talk and live hospitality, talk about the latest trends, uh, you know, different hotels, uh, design trends, and just knowing um, and being in that environment. It's sort of very subliminal, in all honesty. Uh, it's it, You don't learn it in a textbook. Uh, but I think it's something that you just imbibe as you go along. And I think for me, very much, hospitality is a world I grew up around. And I feel very blessed to have parents and grandparents that sort of, uh, you know, who know hospitality, but also really enjoy hosting and being around people. And I think that is something that is really a trait that 
comes to me quite naturally. Uh, and it is very much uh, a product of the environment that I grew up in. You've launched four successful restaurants in London. It's Mayfair. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, when you look at what you've done, what have been the key things you think that have made them so successful? How do you create a successful restaurant? I think very much being true to the cuisine that you're putting out is incredibly important. So it has to be quite authentic. Uh, and for us, that's a huge part of uh, the process. But also all our sites are quite design-led. And each one of them has an ethos uh, that they're rooted in. And I think the concept itself is quite strong, which then gives birth to an entire restaurant and a body of work uh, that you're really able to build around an idea. Uh, and for me, that's really important. So it's not just the food or the design. Uh, it's really bringing everything together and really functioning as parts of a whole, which for me makes an incredibly successful restaurant. So how is an idea born? Do you do a lot of market research? Are you trying to find gaps in the market, what people may want, or do you just trust your instinct? It is very much instinctual, I'm not going to lie, but I also grew up an only child uh, with parents that are quite design-led and foodie and, again, thoroughbred hospitality veterans. And for us, it really, really is about the food that we enjoy, the restaurants we want to go to. And we want to build restaurants that we enjoy going to because, truth be told, we are our audience. Uh, and, and that's the kind of restaurants that we're building that will feel you know, quite encompassing of not just one dimension. So it really is about an experience. And I think that for us is the the really the, the starting point of any idea being born and brought to life. Tell me more about your ideals when it comes to great hospitality. What kind of places do you want to go to yourself? And what kind of places do you want to create? What are the main core values? Wow, I want to go to somewhere that's warm and welcoming. And I think that's the first and most important thing. I want to go somewhere that's quite sensory and quite engaging. And I want to go somewhere that makes me feel like I'm experiencing something which is unique, but also familiar, adventurous, but also exciting. And I think that's uh, really part and parcel of what we believe is very important to us at LSL Capital. It really is gracious service, warm hospitality, and being design-led to give someone an idea that... You know, it's not just one dimensional, but it's about bringing together an experience that makes you feel like you want to leave your house and go mm. somewhere time and time again. Let's talk about what that means in practice. I'd like to discuss your latest sure. restaurant opening coin. So can you tell me about how the idea was born and, and, and how you gradually developed the concept? Coin actually is an homage to my parents' love for Japan. My father loves the food and my mother loves the design. And over the years, we've been to Japan, we've enjoyed Japanese food, enjoyed Japanese fashion. And really for us, building a Japanese restaurant was paramount because we're very well known to the culture. Uh, and to be able to get that right in a restaurant was quite a feat. Uh, the site, of course, uh, is quite iconic. It was the U.S. Embassy and the Canadian Embassy, which we got really lucky with on 38 Grosvenor Street. The restaurant is an homage to Mount Fuji. Uh, and really, it's hard to do Japanese food because everyone knows it. Everyone's seen a version of it. But how do you make it new and exciting? And for us, the homage was really about the nature-spirited roots of Fuji, which um, when you look at Shinto philosophy, there is something called kami, which basically is about the life on the mountain. Uh, and it's quite multidimensional in its approach. And hence, the space was designed with the idea of being a dual, 
where the top of the mountain actually is Midori, very much like where we're sitting today in Midori, Midori House. House, which is the home to Monocle uh, Radio, as uh, we know it. And down under is a subterranean section called Magma. And really, both of them are the complementary forces uh, at play, you know, at Japan's most iconic volcano. And they're two sides of the same coin. That's why the name is Coin. That makes so much sense. Tell me about the, the discussions and the work with the menu then, what you serve in this restaurant. Wow. Uh, in all honesty, uh, it really is about, do we like the way this tastes? Does it excite us? Do we want to keep coming back? But no, truth be told, uh, the kitchen is led by executive chef Reese Catamol. He's from New Zealand. Uh, he's got fantastic pedigree. And I think the idea for us was to really be able to give people something that they know that's familiar, but also something that we could really, uh, you know, stand pretty much far up ahead and say, this is really a coin signature. And the, the journey that we lead people through isn't saying that the menu has highlights, very specifically mentioned that these are dishes that are known to us. And of course, then we're happy to lead you if you want something that's more traditional or more popular, for example, like a black cod, mm -hmm. which everyone knows and everyone is familiar with. But to me, that is just, uh, you know, ticking a box so that someone feels like they know their way around the menu. But if you had to ask me, I'd probably eat the Chilean sea bass, uh, which is our version of the black cod. So we're happy to give you things you know, but we also want to lead you on a journey um, which is exciting and new and uniquely coin. I think it's interesting that during this interview already you've mentioned that it's so important to have these right people, both as staff members and also around you. You know, you get inspiration, you have these discussions and you also get a better idea of what's happening in the industry. How have you got, how have you managed to find all these people around you? Is it thanks to your family history or something else? I think being... A team player is very, very important and having the right team is very key. That's probably one of the greatest gifts given to me by my parents. My father is also my co-founder at LSL Capital and we have a wonderful relationship. And I think age probably has something to do with foresight, you know, uh, and he's really, um, he's really quite instrumental in making sure that I have the right people to work with. And it's really a blessing to be able to work with people that believe in your ideas and your vision. Sometimes it's a bit disruptive uh, <laughs> because it's uh, obviously taking root from what you know, but it's also interesting because the world is changing so quickly. And today in a digital age, you want to keep that pace quite fast and interesting. Um, but at the same time, you cannot forget that the values of old school hospitality is what rules the roost. Can you tell me more about those challenges posed by this modern era? Well, the first one being that your digital presence, say on Instagram or on TikTok, has to really match the physical experience. And I think that today on cam camera makes everything look better, but it can't make something taste better. And I think that's the honest truth. So it has to really be about a marriage of what idea you're selling online, as well as what the experience is you're giving on the ground. And that probably for any food entrepreneur, I assume, is one of the hardest things in today's day and age. Now, what kind of boss are you? <laughs> wow, I'm quite a tough boss, in all honesty, with a good sense of distaste. But I don't think anyone in a position that is building something uh, can afford to be lenient because um, you only fall to the degree of your systems and processes. And if you don't have them quite stringent, I can imagine you're probably going to fall into one too many loopholes. And how do you make the staff commit to you and your business? What do you offer them, offer to them in return? I think you have to sell them and I think you have to first put forth an idea that they all have a buy-in too. 
And I think that's the that's the hardest thing. If they all believe in your idea and your vision, they're going to go the extra mile. And that says the same for your community. And I truly believe that we're not here to sell food. Everyone is selling food. Today, we're here to sell something bigger. I think we're just really trying to engage people to understand there is a lifestyle. And I, and I, you want people to believe in your values. And that's very, very important. How do you make people believe in those values? Is it about finding the right individuals already? Or is it something that you can make them understand? Well, I'm a sociology student to start with. And then I went to hospitality. So I think I'm very much a product of the society I'm, I live and I'm born in. And for me, I think it's very important to know what a brand stands for, because everybody's selling food. And the food and food is pretty much different recipes, different dishes. Uh, everyone's doing the same thing. The whole idea here is to really make sure that people understand what it means to you to sell food. Uh, and that, for example, is with reference to coin. If you look at our Instagram, we don't really have any dishes on there. It's all just a mood board of the design, the philosophy, the ideas. And that for me is very exciting. And just to be able to see how people have responded to that makes me believe that this is really the way to go. What do you think you've learned about the hospitality industry over the years? It's how you make people feel. And that's it. Uh, everything else aside, because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. But I think it's really just how you make people feel when they walk into your space and when they walk out is paramount. Everything else is pardonable and, you know, forgiven uh, if if you make a mistake. But if you make people feel lesser about themselves or you don't have um, the really the inclination to understand that you've made a mistake and you're going to be able to recover that, it really speaks of the way that you're, you know, you, you run your organization. And I think to be, uh, to be in hospitality, you have to be hospitable. And that's the 101. What do you tell your staff members when they're <laughs> serving their customers? What kind of service should they offer? What's the right balance of being friendly but not too friendly? I think it's nice to be warm. And I think it's nice to be uh, considerate and kind, but also to be quite professional. Uh, and I think maintaining that is always very key. And the most important thing is to read your customer. And that's something that comes to just, it's really about the interaction. Because you'll know, for example, if someone is in a business meeting, they don't want to be disturbed very much. If someone is in a much more, you know, convivial setting, maybe they'd want to be having their server touch the table quite often because they'd want more drinks or they want more food. And it's really just taking that minute to read and understand your audience and then playing to your strengths. Now, what kind of plans do you have for the future? Wow, I've got lots of plans. <laughs> but for right now, uh, I'm very, very excited to be um, working on uh, a project with Claude Bossy, who I think is incredible and a culinary genius. Uh, it's called Soccer and it should table pretty soon. Uh, it's an homage to uh, French Mediterranean cuisine and it really just draw inspiration from, you know, um, Cannes, Nice, Marseille. Uh, the design inspiration comes from Villa Sospere and the Colombe d'Or. Uh, and I'm excited to be, you know, working with Fable Studio, who is our design um, collaborator on all our projects, as well as Claude, to bring this vision to life.
And just finally, we talked about how important it is to meet people and get a good understanding of what's happening in the industry. I'm wondering, when you travel around the world, what are some of your favorite restaurants? Wow. Not those, not those ones you run, obviously. No, but you know, uh, yeah, I, mean, I grew up between New York, London and Mumbai. And we spent a considerable amount of time in New York growing up. And I think Nello and Madison Avenue is one of our favorite places to go to. But if you ask me today, where would I want to eat a meal? It would be at my home or my family home in Mumbai uh, with my parents, uh, because I think that some of my best memories were made around that dining table. And there's nothing that really uh, rivals that. Samyuk Denier there and her latest restaurant, Coin, is open in London's Mayfair. Let's next get an update on what's happening in the world of food, drink and hospitality. Here is Monaco's Lillian Fawcett with this week's headlines. A major French dairy producer can continue claiming Norman heritage for its camembert cheese, a court has ruled. Lactalis, which owns the famous French brand Présidente, faced legal action from local cheesemakers who were fighting to protect the camembert label. Strict rules mean the cheese must be made with raw milk from Norman cows. Major industrial producers like Lactalis use pasteurised milk from unidentified cows. But lawyers for Lactalis argued that removing the camembert de Normandie label would benefit foreign rivals and accelerate a decline in sales. A famous California bakery has closed after nearly 100 years in business. A Taste of Denmark opened in Oakland in 1929 and became known for treats like Scandinavian butter cookies, cashew curls and butterscotch bites. The bakery's owners blamed the closure on rapidly rising costs for ingredients and rent. The decorated Swedish chef behind Stockholm restaurant Studio Franzen is set to launch a London location in famous luxury department store Harrods. Björn Franzen's next venture will offer a modern Nordic menu with an Asian twist and span two floors, including a new rooftop terrace. Björn runs seven restaurants in Sweden and Asia, and his flagship in the Swedish capital holds three Michelin stars. High-end French spirits maker Remy Cointreau has moved into the fragrance market with the launch of a luxury perfume collection. Maison Psyche was developed in collaboration with fragrance and taste company Firmentich. Ingredients for the line's five fragrances have been matured inside small oak casks in Remy Cointreau's cellars and prices start from €5,500 a bottle. Thanks, Lillian. This is The Menu on Monocle 24. October's issue of Monocle magazine turned the spotlight on Croatia's third city, Rijeka. The country's largest port is better known for its industry than innovations in cuisine, but that is starting to change, not least because the area is home to three of the country's ten Michelin-starred restaurants. Chef Denis Ildoc started at Draca di Lovrana before starting a new venture called Nebo at Rijeka's Hilton Costabella Resort. Monaco's Guy Delaunay went to meet him in his fifth-floor dining room overlooking the Adriatic. My name is uh, Denis Srdoc and I'm the chef and partner in restaurant uh, Nebo in Hilton Costabella Rijeka. This region is actually uh, the most filled with uh, Michelin stars. We have three of them, one on island uh, Loshin, one uh, near Lovran and here in Rijeka. People are trying to 
move forward, trying to like get to the international scene, and uh, we are succeeding at that. In Nebo, our concept is uh, only what Croatia gives. So uh, the food is uh, uh, from all over Croatia. So we didn't want to be like just uh, from like uh, the sea, like the restaurant that is near the sea. That is usually how the restaurants work here. We are more like trying to present all the best that Croatia has. So we don't import any any food. We use only what we can get here and uh, all that needs to be from ecological or biodynamic uh, farming and uh, needs to have a story and soul so we will not uh, get something from a big uh, distribution or big uh, uh, industries we are trying to get everything that is from like farmers the smaller one we have a woman who has only a sweet potato so we are getting just sweet potato from her and we have now i think 80 different uh, uh, small producers that we are working uh, together so it's quite a lot quite a challenge but uh, it's also huge fun and uh, we are developing our menu and ideas through that when people come to to nebel what they're going to an important question what will they get on their plates at the beginning, when they come to the restaurant, they, they get uh, five different Amos Bush, uh, and they get a, like a small card, and uh, it's a scratch card actually, and uh, beneath it uh, says a little story how we think about Croatia, what she has, and uh, how does it look, and uh, so you so you can visually see how Croatia actually looks and how different all the parts of Croatia are, and uh, how beautiful it is, and that is actually that we are trying to present here and every dish that we are talking about we are talking about the story where is it from from who is it and uh, that is uh, something that actually i think that makes us quite special uh, in uh, our country what, what are, in, in terms of the actual food that you're presenting we've got the story what are the flavors what are the what are the ingredients what are the dishes what are your specialities there we get uh, some ingredient and then we sit on it, talk about it and think what we can do. And then we have uh, all kinds of different different people in the kitchen. So let's say somebody likes Japanese cuisine, somebody uh, Italian, uh, me, I like, like, let's say, Spanish and French. And so we talk about it and make fun about it. You know, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this. And then we figure it out how to do it in like some way that represent our country. And it's always about that. We are always circling back to what we have here and uh, how we can present it like that. That sounds like a very dynamic approach there. If something comes in, somebody says, hey, look at this sweet potato. Mm. Uh, well, I found this great sweet potato producer. And then that drives you to create something with that. Is that, is that the way you do it? Yeah, yeah. So let's say it was a season of uh, wild asparagus. So we were talking about that. We did a dish about that. And then uh, after, I think, uh, one month, poof, there is no more wild asparagus. So uh, we needed to remove it from the menu. So immediately. And next day we needed to have something new. So we sit on uh, some new vegetable that was in season and started to talk through night about that. In the morning we came, we prepared the dish, we tried it, prepared more to make a balance and uh, put it on the menu. So actually we are not creating the 
menu, but the ingredients are creating the menu. So we change the menu often like the season uh, dictates. Are there any dishes which do stay despite the change in season? Are there any staples, any signature dishes? Not so much. So the longest there is a dish on a menu, it's a hake. Uh, that is catched here uh, on the sea and uh, that is now on the menu for four months. That's like the longest, not, not even one dish was so long. Uh, well, next one is one and a half months on the menu. So because all the ingredients that are on that uh, menu are ingredients that you have the whole year. And uh, people enjoy the dish and the story is quite, quite uh, nice. and. Uh, yeah, for now it's still on the menu, mm -hmm. and I I can say that there is probably for now the only longer signature dish. Mm. What what do you what do you do with it? How do you present it? Usually, uh, uh, me or my colleague go outside to finish the dish with the sauce, and uh, the hake is actually usually in Croatia hake is fried or in soup, just something fast. Uh, we actually, uh, we clean it, then we put it in toasted barley with spices, then we smoke it with uh, apple wood, then we put a spirulina cream on it, just to have a nice like touch with uh, the river uh, taste, and then we roll it up. Uh, we cut it to get like the marble shape, because we wanted to like make a synergy between uh, interior design, because you can see that it's a lot of marble, and the uh, design of the plate. Then on the top is everything that we picked. So from uh, pine nuts uh, to the wild herbs that grow here, like the sea herbs and everything. Is this all presented as a, a tasting menu or are you doing this a la carte? Or? No, just tasting menu. We have seven and 11 courses that are changed like how the season dictates and that's it. Just um, to, we want to guests to have the experience of what they can get here in, I mean, in the country. Nobody can eat Michelin star food all the time, even the people who make it. Mm. So you're finding when you go out and about that the places where you go to eat are sort of raising their game a bit as well to reflect the fact that, you know, we now have these world-class restaurants mm. around. Yeah, here. of course. A lot of restaurants here are starting to, like, to, to pump up the, the service and the food and everything. I mean, I mean that actually is good. I'm quite a in uh, like sport uh, spirit so i like to compete and i think that is good I, when when i see that somebody is doing like good something and uh, better than i'm thinking okay i need to again move uh, the ladder up because uh, they're catching and i think that is actually fun but uh, we talk a lot uh, between our uh, between restaurants and I, I don't have any problems to like give any anything that like we, uh, that I know that they can uh, use. We are really in good connections from like the smallest trattorias to the mm. fine dining or the cocktail bars. We talk a lot, so uh, we are helping each other. Oh. 
Thanks to Guy Deloney for that report. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for great recipes. And, of course, you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand's new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi. Our studio engineer was Kelly McLean. Once again, we finish this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here are Moby and Indochine with This Is Not Our World. C'est pas notre monde. Thanks for listening.